Amen. Would you please be seated? Well, good morning, everyone. So good to have you here today. Uh, if you could take a seat, I've got a couple of uh, just announcement things. I'm going to introduce our, uh, our guest our speaker for today. First off, I want to say welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, if you have not ever filled out a connection card, you're a first, second, or even a tenth time guest, we would love to have the chance to meet you. So you can fill out a connection card. There's a physical paper one in the back of the row in front of you, uh, or you can actually just click on one of the QR codes and do it all online as well. Also, want to make sure everybody has a bulletin. Uh, you're getting a week off of the sermon notes that I do. So everybody just take a nice deep breath and you're able to give full attention to our guest speaker today. I also want to say a very special welcome to those who are joining with us online. Thank you for being a part of the Oak Park family today. Uh, remember, you can participate in today's service by texting in comments, questions, prayer praises, or prayer requests to 805-481-7092. And just in case he's uh, watching today, I want to say a very special welcome to Victor, who is uh, working out of town today. And uh, he shouldn't be working on uh, the Lord's Day, Victor. So you better be taking a break to watch the service this morning. Uh, if he's not, I'm sure you'll catch it up on later. I also want to say just real quickly, a pretty amazing thing. This was a Tay's second week uh, leading our, our music. Very excited about that. And I also just want to say I am so relieved of the pressure. See, usually uh, when we, we do the service, it's live streamed. We have, you know, 30, 40 views, whatever, for the live stream. Uh, and then it goes to a recorded version. The recorded version is put on our YouTube channel. And the recorded version can get anywhere from usually 20 to maybe maybe 40 views. Uh, unless it was the week I preached on when Jesus is going to return, that's up to like 380 views uh, or something. That was kind of cool. But after last week's, last week's recorded session or service is up like over 70 views. And I know for certain it was not because of the sermon. Anyway, so thanks to Tay for taking the pressure off on that. I do want to uh, introduce our guest speaker this morning, a great guy we just met uh, recently. We're, um, we're, we're pastor friends in a, in a Facebook uh, page. Um, I found out that we went to the, the same seminary uh, so he's got the highest of qualifications. And then I saw, uh, I saw that he was stationed at Vandenberg Air Force Base. And I'm like, or excuse me, Vandenberg Space Force Base now. And um, I said, we've got to connect. We've got to meet. So like all good uh, pastors and Christian church guys, we went and had lunch at Chick-fil-A. And uh, <laughs> uh, we met. And so would you please... Uh, welcome to the pulpit to bring God's word to us this morning, Air Force Chaplain Brian Harris of Vandenberg Space Force Base. Good morning. All right, so you guys don't know me from Adam, so I'll give you guys a brief uh, just introduction to who I am. Um, Brian Anthony Harris. I, uh, this is my first active duty station here at Vandenberg. I've uh, been in the reserve for a little bit. Um, so I, I did youth ministry for about nine years. I graduated in undergrad from um, Mid-Atlantic Christian University in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Got an MDiv at uh, Lincoln Christian Seminary. And so uh, did uh, missionary work in Africa for a couple of years, travel preacher for a year, lead minister at uh, First Christian Church in West Frankfurt for four years. Um, and now I've moved into, from the civilian side of ministry, into the uh, military. So as an Air Force chaplain supporting a Space Force base. So some of you guys might have a quick, and I'm just going to answer this quickly because I know some of y'all are thinking, um, can chaplains really represent Christ well in a military setting? 
Well, the answer is yes, they can. Um, so the rule of thumb is this. If people come to me voluntarily, if it's a Bible study, if it's a, if it's a time of counseling, if it's, a, um, if it's on a Sunday morning, for instance, I'm free to, to speak to my heart's convictions. There are other times, though, where I'm asked to speak to commanders or I'm asked to speak to large settings, and they, these people are mandatory to be there. And in that setting, I, I'm supposed to be more general, Right? So those are kind of the rules, the way it works, but it allows me therefore though to be present with a biblical worldview and create an opportunities for them to come to me later for a more uh, personal study of how I feel about Jesus. Uh, so I, I'm married, I've been married for 16 years. That's my wife right there in the jean jacket. Um, her name is JL. And then um, <clears throat> got three kids. We've got Zeal, my oldest daughter, she's seven. Uh, my middle daughter, Berea, who is five. And my son, who Elias, who is about to be Three, which is crazy. He's just growing. So we say two and a half, and now he's, you know, now he's right, he's right, right around the corner from three. And so I'm excited to be here and have the opportunity to preach. Um, this is a very, I think, familiar text for probably many of us. Um, but regardless, you know, there's things about the Word of God that have a way of convicting us, right? Because the Word of God is living and active and is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Word of God convicts, am I right? The word of God convicts. And when we come face to face with it, there should be some sort of change that takes place. There's this uh, text in Romans, right? If the book of Romans, uh, Paul is writing back and forth, trying to convince the Jews and the Gentiles to live in unity. And most of his argument is this. Outside of Christ, you're all going to hell. Inside of Christ, you're all going to heaven. So why don't you get along? Right, And so that, that's kind of his main point in Romans. So he has this point where he's talking specifically to the Jews. And he starts going through all these Old Testament things. He says, uh, one of the things he quotes in the Old Testament is, no, one is righteous, no, not one. Then he says in Romans 3, verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Now this is written with some kind of Greek uh, courtroom jargon in it. Uh, they, they would have often kind of gathered in these public settings and sort of watched like a, jub, a Judge Judy interaction take place. And they would have, they, they, and, and whenever a person was clearly guilty, it was obvious to everyone else, someone would come and strike them on the mouth. And that was a sign they needed to be silenced. And Paul is kind of using this phrase here, right? When we come encounter with God, we can't, we can't explain ourselves away. We have no excuses. We can't somehow talk smoothly enough to get out of the judgment that we are deserving. And the same sort of thing comes, comes in true when we come across his instruction in the word of God. There is a conviction that takes place. There is a change that must take place. And the thing about it is no matter, even if we have a close friend, like you can't look to your mom or your dad and get, them out of, get you out of that encounter. You can't have a friend of you come to you and try to explain why the word of God doesn't say that. What it says, it means. It has meaning to it. My wife uh, has, is a super good person. And just to kind of say that, like she, I think she's got one ticket in her life. It was for rolling through a stop sign. That was what they said. Now, and I'm not trying to throw her under the bus. I've had several speeding tickets, right? Um, many. But uh, so she got this one and I was, you know, I felt bad for her. She was really nervous to go in front and, you know, go to court, talk to the judge. And I was like, you know what? I got it. I'm going to take care of you, baby. And so I was like, when we get up there, I'm going to, I'm going to represent you. You know, I've had this beautiful argument in my mind. I'm going to get and be like, your honor, can we even be sure that what the policeman saw was a rolling stop? 
Do we not understand in the laws of physics that whenever the tires stop, the cars continues to move as the suspension gives? Can we not just say for a second that it's possible that, that what they saw as a rolling stop was actually just the car continuing to move with inertia, which I think proves that she was stopped? I demand this case be thrown out. This is my plan. This is my plan. I get up there, I stand to her right, and I'm like, Your Honor. And she's like, Are you a lawyer? I'm like, No, ma'am. You need to stand to her left. All right, all right. Your Honor, if you're not a lawyer and you're not, your name's not JL, you cannot talk. This grand speech I had planned to defend my wife, my mouth was immediately silenced. Right? Again, this is the same encounter with God. We cannot have, no one's going to be able to stand in front of us on our behalf, no person that is. Am I right? We have to face him ourselves, and we have to face his instructions ourselves. This is where we are today in the text. If I could have everybody stand for the reading of God's word. We're in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 47. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They, they gave to one another as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. My God and Father, we are utterly hopeless. And if it was not for your intervention into the world, we would still be in that state. And we thank you for not only creating us, but saving us and making it so simple. Help us, my Father, to be true to your word. Help us as we dive into this very familiar text that we can be encouraged and motivated to understand the simplicity of your will. Please bless this service that what's being taught will be pleasing to you. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may have a seat. Last week, uh, Mike went over the first Christian sermon entailing the gospel message, the people's lost state the plan of God working through Jesus. And I bet it was an exciting message because that is an exciting section of scripture. And so just to go back, we're gonna be in verse 22 as we catch up into the context of today where Peter is giving this sermon and he says, uh, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. The people hear this, right? They hear that 
God has been faithful to his plan to save the world. He sent his son, Jesus, and you killed him. And you can imagine this sort of fear that was probably going through their minds. These faithful Israelites now coming to partake in another Jewish festival, and they are hearing this gospel preached. And they ask the question, a very appropriate question, what shall we do? Notice, notice, they weren't trying to explain themselves away. They weren't saying like, yeah, yeah, but, but, but hey, look, I'm a good person. Yeah, 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 but, but everybody knows that I would give you the shirt off my back. Everybody knows that about me. No, no, they didn't try to do this. They immediately went into, what shall we do? So you're driving a car and it's making some weird noise and you go to the shop and the mechanic says, hey, listen, there's a crack in the block of the engine. You can actually open up and see the oil kind of slowly leaking out of the side of your engine, right? Like at this point, you're like, oh man, you don't get a second opinion, right? No, no, you are, you are confronted with the reality of the situation. You ask, well, what do we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Aren't we glad he wasn't silent? Aren't we glad he gave them something? Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The world's been making noise for a long time. It's clearly broken. The sound of pride and lust, the sound of greed and murder, it is evident that this is not the way the world is supposed to be. So Peter gives them this answer. How, are they, how they are to respond in such an utterly broken world. And the answer is to start off with repentance, to change the way you drive. You drive reckless, you drive for yourself. It seems like even when you're doing something good that there's some sort of selfish motive behind it. No, repent. Live for God. It doesn't just mean to stop sinning, right? If you're facing south and you turn to face north, you didn't just stop facing south. You started facing north, right? It's not just stop living this way and live this way. It's like a complete turnaround. In Christianity, we talk about this. We talk about this as in you're living for yourself and now you're living for God or you're living for sin and now you're living for holiness, Right? It's not just stop doing what you were doing. It's like start doing what you're supposed to be doing. Does this make a sense? Repentance, repentance. Right, so that we, we, we repent. The next is to be baptized. What is that? What, is it, what does it mean to be baptized? Right? This is a, a tricky word because we don't really use it in any other context other than we're talking Christian talk, right? We just don't use it other than that. It's a transliterated word. It's not really even an English word. They've taken the Greek word, they've, they've changed some letters to make it more fun to pronounce in English. So transliterate a word. Now, the interesting thing about this word is we find it used in other ancient Greek texts. We find it in use when it talks about they're going to dye some clothing. They'll say they're going to turn this white cloth blue, they're going to baptize it into the blue dye, right? They're going to completely submerge it and dunk it. We see the same thing with Greek literature about ships sinking out in the sea. It's been completely submerged into the water that was baptized into the sea or into the ocean. Matter of fact, if you were to look up 100 Greek dictionaries, you would find the same thing. It always means dunk, submerge. It means completely go under. It's always what it means. Anytime you see pouring or sprinkling or anybody using that form of baptism, this was something that evolved as a, a means to make it more convenient, but it's just not the biblical model we have, uh, we have for us. So now we go to the question, well, what does baptism mean, right? That's the mode of baptism, to be completely submerged, immersed into the water, but what is it, what's actually taking place? I think Romans 6 paints this the most clear. Uh, Romans 6, Paul's going on with, with his argument and he says, what shall we say then? 
Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? This is a good question. When did we die to sin? We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So when did we die to sin? He continues on. Or don't you know that all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who, is, who has died has been freed from sin. Right? This paints a beautiful picture of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross uh, us being united with that in our baptism. When we died, we died to sin. When we are united with Christ's death, we die to sin. When we, when we rise from the water, we are united with this newness of life that follows us into eternity. As Jesus rose from the grave, we rise. Galatians 3.27, there's several verses, and some of these I'm going to give you really quickly, and I, I don't feel comfortable giving to you out of context, but for the sake of the, the longevity of this sermon or the potential it has, that's kind of where I'm stuck. But Galatians 3.27 says that we are clothed with Christ when we're baptized. Colossians 11, uh, sorry, Colossians 2.11 and 12 says that we receive our spiritual circumcision. Just as the foreskin is thrown away, so is our sin. 1 Peter 3.21 says that this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? It's not the waters, it's still faith in Christ. It's still Christ's work that brings the saving grace. But this is the mode in which God has asked us to move. Interestingly, um, it's not really till recent times that this topic's even up for debate. As a matter of fact, you can actually trace this historically to a guy named Aldridge Zwingli. Have you guys heard this name before? You use this name? Aldridge Zwingli. You guys are... Feel free to look it up. He's a, he was a pretty influenced, uh, influential person during the Reformation. Um, and we know that he was the first person to really start questioning any significance in baptism. So 1,500 years, unanimously, church, the church has understood the significance of baptism. And it wasn't until Uldred Zwingli that we find this taking place. Uh, there were, uh, and I can get, if you guys would like to talk to me about this more, I can give you plenty of more information about this. Um, there are other things that he also questioned. He's also one of the ones that took away the significance of communion. Um, we, we can get into that, like I said, later. But um, it's not until him do we really find this taking place. But it's, it's pretty hard to miss. If you just read the scriptures, it seems like there's something happening here, uh, some, something significant taking place. As a matter of fact, every time Paul mentions when they became a Christian, he always goes back and mentions when they were baptized. So according to Acts chapter 238, repent and be baptized into Jesus brings forgiveness of sins and it brings the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is an interesting thing. We don't talk about it enough, I don't think. But it was something that they were holding on for, the Israelites were waiting for, they were excited about. Ezekiel 36, we kind of have this promise of it coming. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities uh, and from all your idols I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So Ezekiel speaking, he will give it to them. He hasn't given it to them yet. Now they're waiting for this time to come when God is gonna give them their spirit, his spirit, and allow them to live according to his decrees. And we see this being fulfilled here in Acts chapter two. The promises for you and your children, this is verse 39 of Acts chapter two, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is for all who are far off, future generations. It is a promise of hope for everyone. Now, interesting, this last section, right? For all whom the Lord our God will call. Uh, this is actually a continuation of the passage we read in Acts chapter two, uh, verses 21. If you have your scriptures uh, in front of you, you can kind of follow along here. Uh, but it says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You probably remember that. I'll read Joel chapter two, verse 32 for you. So you just so you can be following along in this continuation of the passage. Uh, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? We just read in Acts chapter two. Um, for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape. As the Lord has said, uh, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls, right? So just according to the context of Joel chapter two, as it relates to Acts chapter two, uh, the, call, the Lord's calls those who called on him for salvation. I mean, I'm not saying it always means this in the text, but in this context, it clearly does because this is a quotation from Joel chapter two. They continued on. Hopefully I didn't make this too confusing. Are you guys, are you guys lost? Did I lose anybody here? Okay, I'm hearing myself say, and I'm like, I might be confused in what I'm saying. So just wanted to make sure. Uh, so the point is that the Lord calls those that called him for salvation first. Going back to Acts chapter two, verse 40, uh, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Does that sound like a lot? 3,000? I think we're all like, I would love to see that amount come to the Lord. Is that right? Consider this. It was time of a feast and a festival. Josephus, he's a Jewish historian. He estimates there were over 250,000 people there in Jerusalem during this time. I don't know what the audience was that the apostles were preaching to. I imagine significantly larger than 3,000. And out of that large audience, a fraction of them, 3,000, actually responded. I think that puts things in somewhat of a perspective that we're probably somewhat used to. I mean, we're not doing the, the miracles that the apostles were doing in the ways they were doing them. Um, and so because of that, there's definitely some differences. But the path is narrow. I mean, we even see, we see stories like in... Uh, uh, when Jesus is on his way uh, to the cross, it says that the, these men believed in Jesus, but because of their fear of the Sadducees and Pharisees, they refused to follow. So even though they believed in him, they refused to follow. Uh, I mean, and p people are constantly fighting through the will of God. In Luke chapter seven, uh, it says that it was God's will for the Pharisees to be baptized, but they rejected their will for his will for them. So, I mean, people are even fighting God's will in these situations. Uh, the path is narrow. People hear the call. They don't always want to respond. But those that did respond, 
were baptized, repented, and 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 42, they, they who? Well, they that were just baptized into Christ. Uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, studying of scripture, to the fellowship, living life together, the breaking of bread, celebrating communion, the Lord's Supper. We see this, the only precedence we really, really see for this is in Acts chapter 20, verse seven, where it says they met on the first day of the week. But what we do have is 1,800 years of the church recognizing this is what you do. This is how you celebrate it. And when we celebrate communion as we do every week here, we're celebrating with all of Christendom from past generations on to the day, of, to the day this was initiated, who Jesus is. And so the early church did this as well. Uh, they, they, you know, there's a lot of value there too. Like Ignatius, if you guys are familiar with that name, he was a, uh, Ignatius was a disciple of Polycarp. Polycarp was a disciple of John the Apostle. So just so you're tracking. Ignatius said that uh, communion or the Lord's Supper was the medicine of immortality. The med- I mean, that's a, that's a strong way to say something, isn't it? That's a strong phrase. The medicine of immortality. And you don't see anyone uh, not valuing it to a pretty high extreme again until these most recent time. We've decided it's up for debate again. And the watered-down method has been looked at away through most Protestant groups, again, is pretty recent. And I can give you the history of that later, and actually I'd really like to. Um, I won't do it. I won't do it. Uh, so, and they were also devoted to prayer, right? So we have the apostles teaching. We have the fellowship, living life together. We have the breaking of bread, celebrating communion regularly, at least weekly. And then we also have to prayer. And then it says, verse 43, everyone was filled with awe. Now this is not all like, wow, that's cool. This is all like the creator spoke things into existence. And now what we are witnessing is an extension of that power. They're a little scared. They're a little excited. They're not really sure what's going on, but they know it's God doing it and they want to be a part of it. It says, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to one another uh, as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying uh, the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now take away from this, uh, the church lived in harmony. They were selling what they had in order to take care of those in need. Uh, if you guys are familiar with this, the really big church in Louisville, you guys familiar with that church? Uh, Southeastern Christian Church, Southwestern Christian Church, Southeast, Southeast Christian Church. It had um, Kyle Eidelman is one of the main guys there, uh, and then before him was uh, Bob Dave Stone, and then Bob Russell was the previous one. So when Bob Russell was first there, going back probably twenty five, probably thirty years ago, um, the church was like hundred people, hundred and fifteen people. Um, and he had this, this, this feeling that they just wanted to be more uh, sacrificial for the church and for the community. 
And so the elders of the church, the preacher, they started selling their, their extra stuff. They started downsizing their houses. They sold their extra cars. They started putting all of this money uh, together to try to help the community uh, through some trying times. Um, and this, was, this began kind of like just a way in which the culture of the church functioned and moved. Um, and the church started then growing, and they grew from like 100, 120 people to like around 40,000. Um, so, uh, but it started with that, uh, with that pattern of behavior, which I believe is very much imitating um, what we see here. Um, and it wasn't like they grew 40,000 overnight. It was through many years. But still, the point is it started this pattern. I don't see often in churches what I read about here in Acts chapter 2. And I wonder why. Like, what motivated them to do that? Well, it was because they were grateful to God for working to them and from them and for them and through them. Are we not just as grateful? So then what's the difference? Why are we not living as sacrificially? Why are we, why are we naturally not as strong of a community? And I don't know you guys, right? I don't know. I'm just speaking of churches I've seen. I'm just pre- preaching from what I've seen. Why is there such a drastic difference in the church I read about in Acts chapter 2 than the church I often see in the U.S.? And what can we do to fix that? Three points I want to bring, I want to make apparent before I get off stage. One, if you've not been baptized into Christ, if you've not repented of your sins, if you've been playing with the idea of becoming a Christian for a while but has never taken that step, Look, if you're ready to repent, you're ready to turn your life over to God, the waters of baptism are ready for you. And I hope that is something you'll talk to one of the elders here, you'll talk to Mike, you'll, 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 you'll get that situated and figured out. Number two, if you've already been baptized, then please continue to align yourself with this early church pattern of living out your faith. Staying true to the apostles' teachings, the fellowship, living life together, right? When I was in youth ministry, I would sometimes just call the kids I was trying to disciple to come to Walmart with me, only because I wanted them to just see what it's like. Like, this is how you talk to a cashier. You're not rude to them, right? Like, there's just things that take place that they can only know if they are with you. That's what discipleship is, and it only takes place if we're living life together. So be intentional about living that with the fellowship. Also breaking of bread, continue to do that. Make an important thing about that. You know, also interestingly enough, the early church, if you, mix commun- if you miss communion three times, you have removed yourself from the church. If you miss communion three times, you have removed yourself from the church. Also interesting fact, um, the early church, right? So they would do, uh, they would sing we, like, like we do. They'd also have a time of teaching, just like we do. But when it came time for communion, they would dismiss everyone who has not been baptized because they saw like a very, very close symbolism. Now, I'm not, now I'm not expecting us to do that, nor suggesting that we should. I just want you to understand the, deep, the, the, uh, the strong belief that the two had going together. And this is a pretty common all the way up um, for at least the first 1,000 years of the church. Um, and then devote yourselves to prayer. If you have not made a steady habit of prayer in your life, then you're missing out on God working. Uh, God, God wants to, he wants to intervene, but he's also expecting us to ask. Number three, uh, as the church, you should feel cut to the heart once again to live sacrificially and give to those who are in need, especially amongst the church. If you see someone in need in this church, a part of the body of Christ here locally with you, then the burden of responsibility is on you to make sure they are taken care of. And so I hope and I pray that you guys are doing that and taking that seriously. 
Well, I appreciate y'all's time. I'm gonna close in prayer if that's all right. Lord, you are on the throne uh, and we do not want to live uh, according to our ways. We want to live to yours. And we ask that your kingdom will come and your will be done in our life and in this city and in this nation and in this world, that your people will rise up with the truths of your scriptures and the lost will see revealed in their words and life your hope. Lord, bless us. Help us to be holy and open our eyes to see the sin that is in our life that we can continue to repent of. Lord, help us to be just as faithful to you as we were the day we were first baptized, my God, that we could still have this passion running through us. Help those, my Father, that are testing the waters so they can be bold and take this step in faith to you. We thank you, my Lord, for the way you continue to work in us and intervene. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.